you picked these mugs and you didn't even realize that they were wedding centric. I actually just saw the fruit part of it and I was like, oh, those will be pretty on mugs eventually in my house. Also, I have been told I need to add mugs to my registry for whatever reason. Who really, told you to add mugs to your registry? People felt very strongly that I didn't have enough stuff on my registry and I was like, oh, I'm not choosing a silver pattern and I'm not choosing fucking china patterns, so I guess mugs. People really wanted me to do dishware and I'm like, we got dishes. Mm-hmm. Nice china though. You get to look at the pretty stuff at the store. That's true. I mean, the china and the silver stuff and especially like the big Macy's, gorgeous. They do it up. Also, if you go there to do your registry, they'll give you a glass of champagne and like walk you around and treat you like a princess. I walked into the Neiman Marcus home maybe that's in an old Shriners building here in Chicago because I wanted to look at the architecture. Mm -hmm. But then I was drawn Drawn. by the china section. I tell you what, bone china is real gorgeous. But like, you know, eventually my mother's going to die and I'm going to get what she has. So just going to wait that out. I love you, Mom. <laughs> She's behind on Womance. She won't hear that until the summer. <laughs> By that time, she'll be long gone. <laughs> and I'll have the violet bone china. You know, like how in the 1920s, people would be like, what's your china pattern? They have like the real shit there, like very expensive stuff, like gold leafing and hand painted. And I didn't realize how much I wanted some until I saw it backlit in a glass shelf and I was like well you didn't convince me before when I couldn't dishwasher safe or put you in an oven but now that I know I have to spend four hours after a meal cleaning you yes please they're really they are just so beautiful they are like works of art Mm -hmm. I love works of art that are also supposed to have a utility I think that's really nice (laughs) I like works of art that have a utility but not really (laughs) yeah exactly it's like utility light yeah yeah you know, I was, this for? I use it for like when I break glass in the kitchen and stuff and I get it into the grout grooves. Oh, that's handy. Thanks. I broke its little dustpan, so now I have to use the regular dustpan when I use my Which mini broom. probably just looks enormous next to that. It does. It looks silly. It's like, I imagine how like, you know, a micro penis looks up against something else. Have you never seen pictures of micro penises next to other things? I did after I watched that one episode of Sex and the City, then Samantha encounters a micro penis and the guy was so nice. Well, yeah. I looked it up after that. So that was years ago. So you don't have to imagine, you know what it looks like next to other stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks like my broom and my enormous dust. Mm-hmm. Is that mean to people with micro penises to say? They can't know. see how small this broom is. No, they can't. They can only imagine. <laughs> it is, in fact, significantly bigger than a micro penis. Well, that's true. Which is interesting to think about. What's up with this crystal horse here? It's a unicorn. Oh, that explains it. It's a wine stopper. It's a unicorn wine stopper. It's a gift from my friend. Mm, should little girls be drinking a Chablitz? Adult women can enjoy a crystal unicorn. (laughs) Don't yuck my yum. They certainly can. They can find all the crystal unicorns they want at truck stops across America. It's true. You know what's funny about that unicorn? It reminds me of something that you would find at like Claire's that's like Claire's only Mm. open for like 21 and up. I think just a Claire's. You think Claire's sells wine stoppers? No, but... Maybe they should. Maybe they should. I also think like the wine stopper is a secondary idea to this object. Yeah. Like the primary thing going on here is the crystal unicorn. For sure. So this is definitely something you would see at Claire's. What's the other one called? Icing? Icing by Claire's. That's the one. You know, they're based in Chicago. I didn't know that until this very moment. Yeah. So it was Ulta. Wow. Maybe I did know that. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Should we begin? Please. (sighs) 
I'm Isabel. <laughs> I'm Morgan. And this is Romance. A podcast about romance novels. About films. About cinematic blondes. About adaptation. About umpire waists. About choosing clothes for school. About sexy stepbrothers. Mm. About sexy unrelated kind of half-brothers. <laughs> about being a virgin who can't. About maybe not being mean to spinsters. <laughs> but most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And, and ourselves. This week, it's not so much about romance novels. Mm-mm. It's about movies adapted from romance novels. This week, we are going to talk about a couple of movies that came out in the mid-90s. The original January. That mid-90s Jane Austen craze. When you got sent Sense and Sensibility. You got the Pride and Prejudice eight-part BBC series. That's the first one, right? That's that. Jumping into a lake with his shirt Getting wet! (laughs) Sploosh across (laughs) both sides of the pond. You had Emma. You had Clueless. Which are the two we're We're going to talk talk about. about. Emma and Clueless. Now, Clueless is an Amy Heckerling directed film Mm. from 1995. Mm -hmm. I was rereading an oral history of Clueless. Amazing. Clueless was a really big deal for me Mm. as a youngster. I first saw it on video cassette Mm -hmm. and immediately fell in love. With Cher? With Cher. Identified as a five-year-old intensely. Oh my God, you were five? I was five when Clueless first came out wore out my VHS nice loved Clueless loved Clueless I didn't understand so many of the jokes I think at one point I tried to insult someone by telling them they were a virgin who <laughs> couldn't, couldn't drive, drive. <laughs> way harsh Ty way harsh but uh, yeah Clueless was a really big formative experience for me what was your experience with Clueless your I can tell you experience? exactly second right. grade uh-huh. birthday party uh-huh. where this girl's name Miranda's house it was a big deal that I was invited and I only got an invite because my friend was friends with Miranda. Uh Miranda and I were not friends. No. But I wanted to go to this party because Miranda's mom was kind of lax and it was a sleepover birthday party. So that was a big deal. It was going to be like my first or second sleepover birthday party. I'm eight. I know I'm not even supposed to be there. I got the pity invite. I'm like trying to be cool. It's like very difficult. Miranda has older siblings. It's like 1996. So like the movie's been out for a while because we also watched it on video cassette. And Miranda has this whole big thing. We're all in our sleeping bags in like the living room. You know, she's like getting all excited and she's like, now this, this is a movie for teenagers. Oh my God. Are you ready? And I was like, I don't think I am. What does that mean? And like, I had teenage older siblings and what they were watching was like Last of the Mohicans and Highlander. So like, I didn't have a concept of what like a teen girl movie was was yet yeah and clueless blew my mind oh my god what was mind-blowing the whole discussion about various kinds of blowjobs was really big because I like had a winking understanding of what that was but then Miranda paused it completely and, like, over my head told us <laughs> So like all the sexual jokes, I think this was actually maybe one of the very first experiences of like understanding what the difference between a same sex attraction and a different yeah, sex attraction. Yeah, so it like, was also my like Andre into being like, what does it mean? What does it mean that Christian isn't into her and is into like other stuff? What was really funny. So like the Billie Holiday joke when Christian's like, do you like Billie Holiday? And she's like, I love him. Yeah. I'm like, Billie Holiday's a woman. Or she says, <laughs> uh, Hadians instead yeah, of Haitians. Totally over my head. 
head. Yeah. So there were a couple. All I knew. That was so funny. Was that I love this beautiful California snow globe world. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that lifestyle. What's great about Clueless for me is like, I have this very particular moment where I'm first introduced to it. And then like, it became the movie that I watched at every slumber party. Even after 10 Things I Hate About You, because we'd usually do a double feature of Clueless and 10 Things I Hate yeah. About You. And then like, even in college, like you have a bunch of girls sleeping over, you watch Clueless. Like this yeah. is a movie that I have watched a billion times. A billion times. Belly shirts, swimming mm. pools with waterfalls, shopping malls. This is an Alaya. The maudlin music of the <laughs> college station. station. <laughs> uh, is that flannel <laughs> not to the weather in Seattle or to keep you warm in front of the refrigerator? <laughs> so good. It's so good and it's so witty. So I was rereading the oral history and Amy Heckerling, when she conceived of what would eventually become Clueless, she did not envision it as an Austin adaptation. Oh, really? She wanted to write something about a really blindly optimistic teen girl. Mm -hmm. And so she started mining, you know, literature for characters like that. And Emma was one of the characters. Jane Austen's Emma was one of the characters who came up. I think initially wanted to do a TV show and then they decided to do a movie. And then as she wrote and revised, she ended up hewing more and more to the canonical Emma text. Fascinating. But that's not the only movie we're talking about. It's not. We're going to talk about Emma. The direct adaptation. With Gwyneth Paltrow, nominated for two Academy Awards. From 1996. Mm -hmm. A year later. Do you know what kind of blows? The guy who wrote and directed this Emma originally pitched it as a modernization that took place in the Upper East Side. Oh, really? Yeah. And then Clueless came out. (laughs) (laughs) Sucks to suck. I guess. (laughs) Gotta get quick. Man, timeliness matters so much much. in art and creativity. So Douglas McGrath, he ended up making just a straight adaptation of Emma. Where to begin? Where to begin? Can we begin with our leading ladies? Sure. Cher, Mm -hmm. as portrayed by... Alicia Silverstone. Neutrogena model, current breastfeeding into adulthood advocate. Oh, yeah. She's part of that whole, like, latched thing. She loves it. Okay. And then Gwyneth Paltrow. Also, Who's kind of doing something similar. Yeah. And do you know what's so interesting about that? Is that they've both fallen into this category of well-meaning blondes. Yep. Who are actually really destructive. And terrible. Which is kind of... Emma. Emma. Yeah, <laughs> like, they are Emma. They're both clueless. <laughs> Truly, truly. I think Alicia Silverstone is a lot less damage prone than Gwyneth Paltrow. Sure. Because Gwyneth Paltrow... Goop is damage. God, she just always seems so boring, you know? Like, I remember I really loved Clueless. And mm-hmm. so my parents were like, okay, let's watch Emma, Bored to Tears. As was I. I did not ever like Emma until after I saw um, an adaptation of um, An Ideal Husband. And Mr. Knightley was in that. So I revisited Emma as a late teen. The Mr. Actor? Knightley. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. Northam? Jeremy Northam. Jeremy Northam. God, so charming. Love that dude. Well, smirky North smirk. He's amazing. That's what they should name him. That should be his name. God, I think he's hotter than Colin Firth in The Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm willing yeah, to go I down so. on that hill. I think so. I, I think I agree. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Soundly, no Matthew McFadden in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. I mean, I'll give you that every goddamn time. Like, how does he compare to Paul Rudd, a sexy stepbrother, Josh? I think he's sexier. I think Josh is obviously more relatable, but like, I don't want to bone him as much as I want to bone Mr. Knightley. Let's talk about the male adaptations because I think there were some really great changes that Clueless did that like were really meaningful on the second watch for me. Mm. Like, the dad is not as clueless and terrible as he is in the original text. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved that he's like up in her grades and like, you know, he's got a heavy hand, but also like the whole thing that he says where he's like, you divorce wives, not children. Like his continued relationship with Josh in the modern context is actually really beautiful. And a really great solution of that kind of, how are we going to make the Westons happen in this movie? And I also love her father by way of explanation of who she is. Yeah. Beyond just being like, oh, he's very doting. Mm -hmm. You know, which is kind of the original text's mm-hmm. deal with Emma is like, mm-hmm. he's so indulgent. He you know? spoiled her. He spoiled her. Whereas <laughs> in this movie, it's like, she's learned that she can talk her way out of things because her dad's a lawyer and that's right. what lawyers do. And it's an expectation in their household that she's going to be very good at being charming and convincing and beguiling. Yes. And like her privilege, you see how it is formed, mm-hmm. right? Because you see her dad working really late and her sexy stepbrother, Josh, kind of idolizing this person and working with this person and the Noxima commercial doesn't come from nothing. Right. Yeah, I thought that was really cogent and like actually a really good way of using adaptation to like bring it into the modern moment because like Emma's dad is just played for laughs in the Gwyneth Paltrow version. He's like ridiculous to the point of like actual annoyance. Yeah. Like don't hold the baby. What if it carries a disease? Yeah. Put a shawl on the painting. She might get cold. I'm like, for God. Yes. I actually love this structure we have of going Mm -hmm. character by character. I think this is working really well for us. Well, let's talk about Elton. So good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Do you know who my father is? Elton has a truly nefarious force and clueless. Yes. Amy truly. Heckerling is very able to like draw that out of the character. Yeah. In a way that like it is so implicit in the original and like just makes it explicit. And like yeah. leaving her there in her dress at the gas station, like what a f- in her alia. Oh my god, yeah. In her Alaya. He's, he's such a bad dude. And like, I'm so immediately worried about her in that moment. Yeah. The other thing is, so in the film adaptation of Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow, Mr. Elton is played by... Alan Cummings. Alan Cummings. And there's this scene where she's doing the painting, the watercolor of Harriet. And he's like, I love it so much. I'll have it framed. Goes to London to have it framed. Goes to London to have it framed. And you're like, I can see how Harriet would interpret that as an attraction to her. Whereas like in the movie Clueless, he's like, I hung a picture like a Polaroid that you took in my locker of Ty. And it's like, God, you're both idiots. (laughs) Like like it really shows that like Elton's a dick. Elton's such a dick. And what's so funny, I don't know where I saw this, but he auditioned for the part of Jack Dawson in Titanic. And if you haven't seen it, his audition tape is bonkers. So Jeremy Sisto as Elton lacks a certain impishness. Yeah. Mm. Whereas like Alan Cumming is all impishness or Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack Dawson is kind of giving off a little bit of impishness. Yeah, there's a mischievous sort of glint that like Elton slash Jeremy Sisto, real human, refuses to play. Like I don't want to call it like dead eye, but like there isn't like the thing in the eye that says like the thing that I'm saying isn't straight. Yeah, exactly. Like this is it. That's on me, bro. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whereas like Alan Cumming as 
Elton is very like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, flippant. Yes. Know? Whereas like Jeremy Sisto is Elton is not <laughs> flippant. He's he just is dead serious about his douchiness. Like, why would he date Ty? Yeah. Do you know who his father is? Yeah. And both their proposals happen in vehicles, which upon more yeah, recent viewing, yeah. I thought was so good. And like in Clueless, they're in his car and she's trapped, which sucks. And in Emma, they're trapped in her carriage coming home from a Christmas party, which equally sucks. But the movement inside of the carriage is so good. Yeah. Like they're sitting next to each other and then she moves and then he moves to be next to her to propose and then she moves away again. Yeah. And like they're constantly moving and shifting sh- around. And like the shifting of the carriage itself is so good. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, the difference is, is like I never feared for Emma's life. And like I definitely was afraid for Cher. I do think Amy Heckerling has this real talent. She also directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, what a great director. And getting it over with was her first teen movie, which is an unsung hero of losing one's virginity. Mm. But she really is good at like taking like really heavy shit in teen life and like adding levity and a sense of humor. Like Cher being so incredulous about being mugged, which is like the feeling you would have. Inside. Oh, totally. Just like, are you fucking kidding me? After everything else. Like I get dumped here <laughs> in my Alaya. And now I'm getting mugged and he's asking me to get on the ground. <laughs> and count to 20, which she does. She just plays it so well. Yeah, like yeah, she she really does. And then like the calling of Josh who's like, making out with his like super pretentious girlfriend. Yes. I loved, I like also really like that, that he has like a pretentious girlfriend and that like the misquote of Hamlet is so good. And when Cher's like, I know my Mel Gibson. <laughs> Which is like also the most fucked up adaptation of Hamlet. I love that in that moment, it reminds us that Emma and Cher are not dumb. Right. They're very smart. They're smarter than anyone's giving them credit for. They just have a tendency to value different things than the high-minded, intellectual, Sure, and the people around them. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I was (laughs) rewatching Emma and what occurred to me is like, here is an immense tactical brain that is given absolutely no occupation. Yes. No wonder she's doing this stuff and she's like inventing narratives for like scenarios that aren't happening the way that she thinks that they're happening because she is an incredible tactician. She's an incredible wit. The way she's able to spar with Knightley. And like the fact that she does it so fast and so then like watching Emma became like watching a tragedy and watching Clueless is just watching a comedy. Yeah. (gasps) That's so right. And like it's like Sarah serendipitous that she ends up with Knightley but also like kind of sucks like the stuff about Miss Bates who doesn't really have a corollary in Clueless like I do feel like Miss Geist is partially Miss Bates okay I can see that and like questions around Lucy are also potentially Miss Bates yeah but like she doesn't have an exact corollary there's no moment exactly where like there's a bad form Emma like Strawberry Hill moment yeah and like that was a tragedy like Miss Bates inside of Emma is a tragedy here's a noble lady who you know it was a grace and a courtesy for her to bestow attention on Emma when Emma was young yeah and now that Emma is a woman of maturity and has come into her own and is about to inherit Miss Bates has fallen so far in the world yeah that like Emma's allowed to do that thing yeah yeah that was such a tragedy I don't think I'm saying anything controversial when I say that 
Emma is the most maligned of Austin's heroines. No, I think that's true. People really dislike her, but I think you're right. I think people misunderstand her. I think she's truly a tragic character. Yes. And Clueless does a great job of putting that into relief. Yes. And saying, if we put this woman in a modern context, you get to enjoy all the giggles of it. Because you know that like she'll grow up, you know, making her teen also kind of fixes a lot of it. Yeah. Her frivolity and her mistakes and what she's choosing to exert her energies on is fine because she's a teenager. And that really fixes so much of the tragicness of Emma itself. It does. And like what a commentary then. Like and how adaptable and how wonderful it is then to move Austin forward. Because like the things that were tragic about like not being able to have an occupation, being legally dead once you were married, so you're like entirely at the whim of your father or husband. Yeah. Those aren't funny realities that Emma is no. circumnavigating. And exactly as you so astutely put, she's brilliant and she has no outlet. Literally none. So she becomes this destructive force. Yes. I don't think Jane Austen was like ignorant of that fact like she wrote in one of the only surviving letters of hers that she had written the most unlikable character ever in Emma and that it was very important to her that people understood why her unlikability mattered yeah and that's why Emma is also the longest book yeah Jane Austen wasn't fucking fooling around man she fucking knew how (laughs) shitty things were and like she can brighten a moment but like the shadow Emma is Miss Bates yeah Exactly. And I think the Emma-ness, I do think there is a way that we pigeonhole blondes. Yes. But I do think there are certain bubbly aspects of who I am that have been equated pejoratively to Emma in my life. But I think there was always a depth there. Because like, how could someone as talented and evocative as Amy Heckerling mine a text that wasn't saying something deeper? For sure. And I think like Clueless is a gift that can continues to give like you know why would sleepovers from 1996 until 2018 Mm -hmm. continue to populate with clueless yeah it's just an exquisite film yeah and emma like i hate reading it because i think the thing about emma that is hard for me to actually read and was like more enjoyable to watch is like it is actually really hard to watch a brilliant mind turn to like these kinds of trivialities when you know what she could be really capable of where she given the opportunity it's like very angsty yes but like not in the pleasurable way no just in the way that causes me anxiety yeah and it's like oh at least she ended up with someone who she can appreciate and her spar with. with yeah yeah but like really yeah that's it. it and like she fucking won the game like that's the lottery that's it congratulations emma yeah. yeah it is so sad let's talk about churchill and christian please yes oh my god you and mcgregor and like christian <laughs> first of all watching you and mcgregor in 1996 I was like Obi-Wan Kenobi slash what's your name for Moulin Rouge? Christian. He's Christian in Moulin Rouge. You know what's so funny is like he started his career in train spotting. Yep. And you're sitting here being like the guy from Moulin Rouge (laughs) and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay. First of all, he's my forever Obi-Wan. Second of all. Really? Oh yeah. Alec Guinness. No problem. Great props. 
But here's the thing. <laughs> great props. Yeah, great props. Like, whatever. He set the tone. And you know who really, like, took up the baton and ran with it and made it a beautiful thing? Fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. Super duper into it. I saw Moulin Rouge three times in theaters. I also saw it three times in theaters. And this is a big deal. It was so good. But I love seeing him as Frank Churchill. But this is, like, his role after Train Spotting. Have you yeah. ever seen Train Spotting? Yes. This is his role immediately after Train Spotting. What a, what a palette. Apparently, Cleanser. He has a weird penis, according to that book we read. Yes, which made fun of it for like no reason. No reason. I've seen Life of Adam, mm. and I don't remember being like a weird dick. Look at your weird. Never sweeter. Listen, Charlotte Stein. What do you have against you and McGregor's penis? Defend yourself. Why do you think that's a weird penis? He was delightful as Frank Churchill. He was so good and he was so appealing. We're going to talk about Christian shortly, but like the appeal of Churchill is so clear. Like he's gabby and gossipy. Yeah, he's gossipy. He like introduces a whole new thread for Emma to chew on. And like the whole meeting at the water where like her carriage is broken down. He's like, well, I guess you're going to have to live here. Yeah. And then he circles the horse back around. He's like, he's exactly who was baited for Emma. Yeah. Like he's so funny. He's really good in parties. He has many of the social talents that you'd pull out in the parlor after dinner. Snappy dresser. Snappy dresser. As Nelly says, bit of a show off. Bit of a show off. That Jane Fairfax. Yeah, I fucking love Ewan McGregor. Like, this is a perfect role for him. He's so fucking charming. I forget how charming he is because he is genuinely a good actor. That real life charisma will always kind of save a character from being cloying. Yes, 100% agree. Let's talk about Christian. So when Churchill gets adapted for Clueless... He becomes a gay man who Cher Mm -hmm. is immediately attracted to. And then all of her friends are like, he's so obviously not interested in you sexually. Did this happen to you when you were in high school? Did you get a crush on a gay man? No, because... Oh, you met your husband in high school. I did. But prior to that, in Shawano, Wisconsin, where I had 150 uh, classmates, there were only two out gay people in our entire school. And anybody else who I might have been, you know, accidentally on purpose attracted to, obviously. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have known and I probably don't know even now. I didn't either, but I do feel like it's kind of a thing that happens frequently. Oh, sure. To young women, particularly young bookish women like us. Yes, indeed. I had very, (laughs) very deeply fond feelings for very charismatic gay men who weren't prepared to be out to their families, but were out at school. I mean, like girls who get crushes on guys and then it's revealed. I'm talking about the share situation. No, I know. Where you're like, he's Gabby. He's gossipy. He's snappy dresser. Drives a really cool car. Took me to a cool concert. I like him so much. And then it's like, well. You're not his audience. You're not his audience. He's checked a few too many boxes. That's what's so great about Clueless is like when Murray tells them that Cher is not Christian's audience, they immediately accept it. There's like nothing else about it. It's like Christian is gay. He's batting for the other team. Now we get to be friends. He's a friend of Dorothy's. Yeah. I mean, Murray lists off Oscar Wilde reading Mm -hmm. something, something friend of Dorothy. Yeah. Was it homophobic? That's like the most pretentious and nicest homophobia I've perhaps ever witnessed on screen then if it is. I'm asking. 
asking if it is because it's been a long time for me, I guess. It didn't feel homophobic in the rewatch, but... Okay. Now, through these new eyes? Through these new eyes, it didn't feel homophobic. It just felt like Murray knew something that Cher didn't. Yeah. It was more of an insult to Cher. Exactly. That's how it did feel. Like, he was, you know, hitting on call well, markers that well, she would get. that's such an interesting adaptation besides, like, he's secretly engaged to this very beautiful... Jane Fairfax. Yeah. Jane Fairfax. What mm. a hottie Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Tits and eyes for days. That Tits woman. and eyes for days. But it's kind of interesting because yeah, yeah. the woman they cast as Jane Fairfax is so clearly like a counter thesis to Gwyneth Paltrow's particular brand of... Wayfish virginity. Yeah, yeah. She's buxom and brunette and exotic. Yeah. It's true. They definitely put some eyeliner on her lower lid. Yeah, they for sure did. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah, and like what does it mean to then turn that character into a gay man who's unattainable and then immediately becomes Cher's friend? Yeah. I think that's a better way of doing it, frankly. Yeah, and it's a way that doesn't put her in direct opposition. Yeah. However, we do have a female antagonist and clueless we do my doctor doesn't want balls in my face there goes your whole social life (laughs) she is weird and it is weird when elton starts like you know macking on her Mm -hmm. but she is our equivalent mrs elton who arrives from bath (laughs) can't stop talking about how good bath is with so many opinions I wonder how Jane Austen really felt about Both. I don't know. It's in every single one of her books. Yeah. It's not like New York City in a Woody Allen movie where it's no. like charming. <laughs> no. It's like where vapid people go to be vapid. Yeah, exactly. But isn't that where like the Jane Austen like annual Austen off or whatever where sure they all is. dress up is? Yes. God, that sucks. I mean, Jane Austen was a woman of her time, writing of her time. And like, that's where the prince went. That's where the pavilion was. And yeah. like, when the season was over in London, they all decamped to Bath for the waters. Take the waters. Whatever God, that is. I love a good spa day. I fucking get it. Dude, they spawed in Bath. Bath is out of the question. For months. How weird to like decamp with someone. Like, follow a famous person to a place and then spend weeks in that place. I am so scared to meet famous people. I can't imagine seeking it out. I can't either. I think it would be like incredibly. But it was almost like a point of survival, right? For some people, certainly. Anybody in the court. If you didn't fucking go to Bath with the regent, who the fuck were you? It's so scary. Irrelevant was it's what so you were. scary. Maybe that is how it is for socialites. I just don't like, I've never worked oh, at like. Oh, that's a good point. You know? It's just not hard to see. <laughs> is that? We're just way out of it. <laughs> it's like we <laughs> You don't spend the holiday in St. Bart's. I don't even get a holiday. What is a weekend? <laughs> what is a weekend? You know, she said that because every day was a weekend for her and people That's use right. it as a gift to illustrate how hard they work. Yes. Downton Abbey is like fucking Quit capitalist misconstruing. porn. Quit misconstruing Downton. Oh, God. Yeah, making Christian, a.k.a. Frank Churchill, a young gay man was a good choice. Savvy move. Also, mighty, mighty Boston's. <laughs> Yes. Never had. I want to do a sad acoustic cover of the Mighty Mighty Boss Toads. You know how like the white girls on YouTube do with like Beyonce songs? Yes. I wish I could play guitar or something with I don't. I just want you to do it a cappella. I want you to meet Sarah McLaughlin and be like, Sarah McLaughlin, I know you haven't done a love affair in a while. I got something that I want you to listen to. I would do this performance 
with myself, mm. one acoustic guitar mm. or piano, mm. and then one sad person dancing. Well, that's me. That I'm like, I'm going to be up there. Literally. And I'm like, I'm definitely having what a lighter. Oh my God. And like, you know. I'm doing it on stage because the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones had a member of the band who Duh. just danced on stage. I'm going to have a lighter and I'm going to have scarves. I'm <laughs> just gonna like be behind you very rhythmic yeah no let's do it okay submit to our Patreon and we'll do it we'll do it that, that should be, be our that would be awesome that's our, our big thing sad acoustic cover for a hundred dollars a month we would do an acoustic version of Knock on Wood where Morgan sang and Isabel danced yeah if you give us twelve hundred US dollars we will do that yeah in your home if you want <laughs> wherever yeah they go to a Mighty Mighty Boss Tones concert it was a good concert she's a full-on Monet I love that line and also one of the things that I love most about Sharon Ty's relationship which is just ever so slightly different than Miss Smith and Emma was that Cher always explains things and it's never condescending so like Ty says what do you mean by Monet and she's like oh you know it's pretty from a distance but when you get up close it's just a mess and there's no but didn't she just copy that off of Christian sure yeah but like there's no added like you don't know yeah 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 and I feel like Emma's constantly like (laughs) yeah and I'm like fucking stop she's illegitimate Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma really brings out the abrasive aspects of that character indeed but of course it's a like function of the filmmaker because he does that quick take when the guy is like oh well I suppose I'll ask Jane Fairfax to play the piano forte instead and then quick cut to Emma playing the piano forte it really feeds into her her pettier movements in the novel whereas Mm -hmm. I think Clueless is like there's something about being a teen girl and fighting for every social inch you have that is almost forgivable yes and charming Mm -hmm. which we've talked about before Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is just a little harder in a 22-year-old adult woman who has immense social capital in her little world. Yeah. And to be honest, I see Gwyneth Paltrow and I don't see Emma. I see Gwyneth Paltrow at this mm-hmm. point culturally. I think that's fair. She no longer works really well as an actress because she's just a projector screen. Mm-hmm. But if I saw Alicia Silverstone and absolutely anything else, I'd be like, Cher Horowitz. What you doing? What <laughs> you doing, Cher Horowitz? Which kind of sucks for her, I'm sure. I want to talk about Tony Collette and Brittany Murphy. Yes. The heart of Emma. Harriet or Ty, whichever way you slice it. Mm-hmm. I remember being riveted by the way Brittany Murphy spoke her Jersey accent, mm-hmm. as I now know it. But it being like a young child from Kansas, I was like, she sounds like she's in the yeah, that's how she sounds. And I was like, she's so cool. Whenever they were washing the manic panic out mm-hmm. of her hair, I really wanted to have that moment in my life. Let's talk about Ty. Let's talk about Ty. Kind of hard to talk about Ty because of... Brittany Murphy's untimely death? Yes. It is. And Brittany Murphy is such a charm bomb. Mm. What a way to describe that human. You know what movie I love with Brittany Murphy? Like unapologetically, like I'll die on this hill. Just Married. I knew it was coming. With Ashton Kutcher. I saw that movie at 18 and like, I love it because she's so effervescent and so Mm. funny in it and like his body humor is whatever but it's all of her rejoinders that make that movie so good hers Ty I also remember being kind of devastated when I was a young teen and I discovered Ty was understood as chubby Mm -hmm. devastated (laughs) yeah and that they're like working out together I'm like fuck you Cher dude yeah don't be rude yeah but there is something like 
Like, what do you think about Ty as Harriet? I think she's an excellent Harriet. Yeah, you think it's like a pretty true adaptation? No, I think it's the alchemy of when you move something forward, right? Like Harriet, and this is something that like I only just noticed in this rewatch for this show is like Tony Collette's Harriet does this thing when she's lying Mm -hmm. where she'll touch the side of her face with the overside of her hand. Yeah. And she does it when she's lying to Elton and she does it when she's lying to Emma about how she really feels. And I think that's the Something that like Tony Collette really brought to that character. But Harriet never, ever, ever corrects Emma. Yeah. And she's a real, she's a real milksop. Yeah. And like the fact that Ty is like kind of flat, 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 grateful Harriet. Mm -hmm. And then has this moment of like, you're a virgin who doesn't drive. Yeah. Is like good. Yeah. And like so much better because like Cher has been not lying because that's too strong a word, but like misleading. Yeah. Not purposely, but like, you know, by the accident of like her tactical mind, you know, not doing the thing it's supposed to be. She's really led her astray. And like, that's too bad for Ty to then like have this moment of herself being like fuck you you're not all that like it was good for Ty to have the strawberry hill moment for Cher rather than have a Mr. Knightley sat down yeah yeah I think that's true and Ty really goes on a journey that leads her ultimately to the same location which is the Farmer Martin or Travis as he is in Clueless but to like have that be like a real growth movement like she no longer needs Emma slash Cher's direction like she knows what she wants and she's capable of achieving it is really interesting and I think like positive and ultimately like where Harriet does indeed end up without ever holding Emma accountable for the missteps right and Ty holds Cher accountable mm-hmm. and I yeah. think that's good and I think Tony Collette also adds like a richness like oh, the rubbing God. of her face and you know whenever she reveals to Emma that she's attracted to Knightley it really comes as a true surprise but also doesn't feel unearned mm-hmm. as a result yeah Tony Collette's a real fucking professional yeah have you ever watched Muriel's Wedding yes so good but also like her in the sixth sense which is just a scant you know five years after this Mm -hmm. like she's so good as that mom that's crazy that is five years after this tony collette very good this has been tony collette very good actress i want to talk about the mrs weston mr weston and how that's adapted in clueless because i think they break mrs weston out into two characters dion and miss geist i think that's right until you said that i would have said that it was a easy fall for Miss Geist and Mr. Hale. Mr. Hall. Mr. Hall. And like they seem like Miss Taylor and Mr. Weston. But I think you're right. The fact that like Emma does go to her former governess to talk about her feelings like that is 100% Dion. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. It's broken into two. I think she needs a confidant with more life experience than her Mm -hmm. and a project that she can undergo. Yep. And governess to teacher is pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Well, that was cool. I love Miss Geist. I also really, really love Mr. Hall. I love the scenes in the debate classroom. I think that actor, Inconceivable, is he's just a gem. He's so great. He is. And like their movement towards each other is so sweet. Mm-hmm. It's just it feels saccharine, but not in a way that like leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It does feel saccharine, but not in a way that want to vomit. Vomit. Yeah. There's that great scene where they're watching them kiss by the car and then they slowly get grossed out. I know! Like, this guy's can't get her car open. It's so 
Really? But also, yeah, like what a wonderful discussion and like what great direction and like what great screenplay that like you could have that scene so perfectly written that's saying all the things it needs to say about Miss Geist and Mr. Hall, but also about like the socioeconomic status <laughs> of fucking teachers. Yeah. Like, and also like how these young, wealthy yeah. teenagers understand the world they're in. Yeah. Like insane wealth. Can you believe Stacey Dash is like a rabid Republican? Can I believe that? Yes, because I'm forced to. Yeah, we have to counter it. Yeah, but no, when I found that out, I was actually deeply hurt. I felt like... Right, it felt like a real... Yeah, it felt like I'd been betrayed. But the thing about Clueless is there are probably super conservative fans of Clueless who feel very supported and validated. I'm sure those fucking assholes. But at least we've still got Alicia Silverstone. Do we? Swinging for a hard left. <laughs> so I think left, she does it like might crystal right. stuff, which I'm kind of into. Crystals are pretty. They are beautiful. Welcome to Crystal Observations <laughs> with Morgan. Crystals are pretty. They might heal you. They may not. They might not. But in any case, they make your house look cool. They do. They're like a prop that makes people think you're spiritual, That's even true. if you're not. They're a really good shorthand. I mean, I'm not spiritual, but like I like the accoutrement. I hear that. What do you think about people who say I'm not religious, I'm spiritual? I get it more and more. <laughs> like five years ago, it came out that in England during their census that one in four people identified as Jedi. And I was like, I know that you're doing that to be like a sarcastic dick face. Yeah. And I'm into it. You know, it's like religion and like, you know, not to be like. But do you think those people are like spiritual, even if they're not religious? religious if they self-identify as a Jedi to be a smartass? I don't know. I think like smartassery and like in the Venn diagram of religious and spiritual, like smartassery has like more in common with spiritual than religious. See, to me, the Venn diagram of religion and spirituality is a circle and you can't really be like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Oh, I think a lot of people have been burned by like religion and like identify as spiritual, but like don't go to church and don't obey those rules. But I still think they're religious in a way but I guess that takes like belief in a higher power and that by moving your life in a certain way you'll be able to manipulate that higher power into a better outcome for you is like religious like following the like if I get a black onyx and I charge it in the sunlight and I hold it close to my heart like you're just following rules you know Buddhism is a religion Mm -hmm. Shintoism is a religion and Mm -hmm. they're also basically doing the same spiritual stuff that a lot of people who are like I'm spiritual but I'm not religious are doing I think maybe the cutoff is where people are like willing to impose it on others I don't think that makes something religious that makes something evangelical Mm. so you could be like I'm religious but I'm not evangelical but then they'll inevitably tell you about their crystals and how you need a crystal (laughs) maybe or their veganism and how you need to be vegan like everyone is evangelical a little bit when I was being raised in the Greek Orthodox Church we used to call people who only showed up at how holidays Easter Christians whoa sick burn (laughs) but I like I think about that now like how fucking shitty it is to like accuse someone of that how can I know what you feel like whatever like if you're only called at the high holy days fine like who the fuck am I I recognize that people feel like there is a difference between religion and spirituality yeah I don't believe it's there I understand like trying to distance yourself from a certain narrative but come on Like, if you could actually lay out to me how your rules are different from the other guy's rules, Mm. I'll be impressed. But uh, you're still following rules and you're still trying to convince me that I should also follow them. I guess I just don't see the difference. 
Yeah. I and think- also like the rules are being manipulated for self gain. Mm. And then you also say like some form of charity, like that's a little condescending. Yeah. When I worked at a university, every time I had to read a fucking paper about how a kid went to a goddamn soup kitchen and how that made them a good person. <sighs> <coughs> <coughs> I'm not a well person. All right. Uh, Let's start off with Emma. Sexiest part. What's the sexiest part of Emma? I mean, just Mr. Knightley. I know, just in general. I really like the part where Jane Fairfax is playing the piano forte with Churchill. Mm -hmm. And Emma starts staring at Knightley. Mm -hmm. And then he looks over at her. And then she, like, looks away from him. I did a really good impression of it. Listeners, you missed it. (laughs) And then he, like, smirks at her and comes over and sits next to her to talk to her. I loved all of the Mr. Knightley and Emma banters. It's not a very sexy movie, though. No, but, like, you're 110% right. Like, the Knightley smirking. Like, when Mr. Elton comes to sit between them when they've been, like, nicely talking. And then he starts, like, (laughs) miming and smirking behind Mr. Elton's face. Like, yeah. No, the sexiest bit is uh, Jeremy Northam's face. Yeah, that is the sexiest bit. What's the weirdest part? Uh, the weirdest part is their age difference. Oh. He was 16 when she was born, and he like makes a point at the end of like cataloging that difference. And like 16 is a lot. That is a lot. You're 37. She's 21. She's 22. 22. Yeah, that is a lot. I uh, weirdest part of Emma for me is the way the film is edited. Maybe there's something in the performance, but I don't want to say that. Really leans on the worst parts of Emma and brings them out for comedic purposes, and it really is disengaged with the reality of that existence for sure that is upsetting i think maybe the fact that clueless is written and directed by a woman and that emma is directed by a man like makes a difference in that sense yeah i think this is actually a really clear argument for why it matters that you have diversity behind the camera as well as in front of the camera weirdest part in clueless for you (laughs) weirdest part in clueless for me that's so hard i think it's probably the classism the Mm. natural like i i don't feel like the film is ever inherently or purposefully setting out to idolize a certain amount of wealth and prosperity. But I do think that it had that effect on me mm-hmm. as a young person seeing it, like wanting that Beverly Hills Jeep. Oh my God, the Jeep though. There's no reason I needed to know what Fred Siegel was at that age, but I did, you know, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like when they go to the party in the valley and she like, as soon as she gets let out of a car outside of her bubble, she's immediately mugged. Mm-hmm. That's the weirdest part of Clueless for me. Yeah. Weirdest for you. As a young person, mm-hmm. it was watching Travis go through the 12 steps but like now I think that's like fairly progressive <laughs> yeah I forgot about that yeah and like watching it again as an adult there was a moment for me where it was like oh Mr. Hall is like we're running into a king of queens problem like Mr. Hall isn't as attractive as Miss Geist but you know that sucks it was just something I noticed for the first time so like I'm not exactly sure that's my weirdest part but like it it's a in. weird part that you want to draw attention to it is I want you yeah. to just think about the attractiveness of Miss Geist for a minute listeners and like yeah. sit with it she is she's got that like She's a babe. She's got that sexy teacher thing, which I think whenever you're a female teacher and you're sexy, it's like you're like a little blousey, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's it. That's the ticket. Like your hair's a little messy. Mm-hmm. Your lipstick's a little padded on. Just a little bit. A little padded on. Oh. Your shirt's like maybe one button unbuttoned too many. Yeah. It's 
like billowing. It's yeah. blousy. You're blousy. You're blousy. You're blousy. It's a little bit loose. Okay. Sexiest part of Clueless. What is the sexiest part of Clueless? It's not a sexy movie. It's surprisingly unsexy because like the text itself is surprisingly unsexy. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I loved all of Claire's Calvin Klein mini slip dresses. Mm-hmm. I know they're not all Calvin Klein. Super fans, don't come at me because I'm already ahead of you. The the slip dresses, the mm-hmm. fuzzy pencils. Yeah, the fuzzy pencils, so the good. sensuality. But yeah, there's a lot the, of tactile stuff. Like, yeah. But that scene on the stairs. I mean, when they make out at the end. Yeah. It's like, everything you want it to it be. It is. And it is like, it's not a genuine surprise, but it like feels surprising in the moment. Like Paul Rudd, like taking her face in his hands and like with his big baggy flannel shirt and yeah. just like, it was, I don't know, it's everything. I think there's also something in the way that Christian smolders mm. whenever he's watching was it Spartacus mm-hmm. with Tony Curtis and <laughs> yeah, Kirk Douglas yeah yeah the snail scene yeah, he's smoldering God. at the television I, I like snails a- and clams yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I think his like reaction to like watching something like that and like the fact that Cher is like obliviously trying to like seduce him in the background almost enhances and puts into relief his like very sexual engagement with a film which was a great choice by the actor oh for sure (laughs) and in no way in an intentionally sexy part of the movie no (laughs) it's really good all right, Emma from 1996. Bomance or Nomance? I'm going to say Nomance. And fine. here's why. Because you could watch Sense and Sensibility. Mm. You could watch Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. If you wanted to watch a Jane Austen movie or miniseries, mm-hmm. you do not have to settle for the 1996 Emma. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. Like, there are much better, much more woe Nances. Yeah. You don't have to spend, what is it, two hours and ten minutes of your life. On Gwyneth Paltrow's really petty Emma. Yeah, you don't need to do that. Fair. Um, Clueless is a romance. Obviously. Um, I don't feel, I hesitate to even call it a romance because her and Josh's relationship is so ancillary to the film itself. I don't think it's a romance, but it's a romance. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, as yep. a I think Emma, as a book, after our discussion, I am convinced that it deserves a better adaptation. Maybe one's out there and I just haven't seen it. There's definitely other Emma adaptations. There are two adaptations that I think I'm going to watch during this I January. Know. I think I'm going to like go home and watch them now and yeah. like be like, maybe this one gets it right. Yeah. I hope someone got it right because the text is rich. The text is rich. Also, if you find yourself to be an Emma stanner, like if you stand for Emma, <gasps> come on, let us know. I think let us we know might why. be Emma stands now. We might be. We might be. We might be. Oof. On that note, loosen your stays, but never your principles. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more romance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listing app. Until next week.